All right, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. We are here once again today. Um, as I was sitting there, I just each week we come because Jesus wants all of you. There is not a single part of you that Jesus does not want. He desires all of you, all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. And we're here each week in order that we may be reminded of these things, that the Spirit may meet us here this morning um, as he already has during a time of worship to just draw us ever closer to himself so that we may be truly that light that he has called us to be in a dark world. So thank you for being here. Um, We are going to step into uh, the second part of this little mini-series we're doing that we've called Shaped by Jesus. And last week we looked at what stories shape us, and today we're going to be looking at um, wonder, awe. Where is your awe? Where is your wonder? Um, Paul David Tripp, he, he wrote an excellent book on this topic, and this is, this is what he has to say about it. You may think this is an interesting th- title for a sermon. We're, we'll be looking at um, a story in the Old Testament here in just a moment. But this is what Paul David Tripp has to say about awe. He says, here is a personal awe check. Where do you experience your biggest moments of happiness and your darkest moments of sadness? What angers you or crushes you with disappointments? What motivates you to continue or makes you feel like quitting? What do you tend to envy in the lives of others? Or where does jealousy make you feel bitter? What makes you think your life is worth living or causes you to feel like your life is a waste? When you say, if only I had fill in the blank, how do you fill in that blank? What are you willing to make sacrifices for? And what in your life just does not seem worth the effort? Look at your highest joys and your deepest sorrows, and that is where, uh, and, that, and you will find where you reach for awe. And one, just one more in an issue, completely secular sources of psychology today, 2016. There's an article, it was actually entitled, It's Not About You. And it's about this, this conversation. Here's a great quote from this. So listen to this slowly, okay? Awe, okay, the feeling of wonder, the feeling of being in awe of something, it gives you an existential shock. It's like, ugh, an existential shock. You realize that you are hardwired to be a little selfish, but you are also dependent, catch this, on something bigger than yourself. You're dependent on something bigger than yourself. And this is what they say. Being enraptured is a way to remove the tyranny of the ego. It's really interesting, right? I don't know if you've ever stood before something so much bigger than yourself, and you suddenly realize, wow, I'm extraordinarily tiny, (laughs) right? I don't know if you've seen the recent images coming from this Webb telescope that NASA has released. I've just been staying on top of it. And if you need an existential shock about just how tiny and small that you really are, go look at those images where they catch literally just a little small pinpoint of the sky that is covered 
with hundreds of galaxies that we have never even known existed or even remotely began to explore or learn about. And you will feel like, wow, I really am this uh, this little speck in this universe. It is not a matter of living life without wonder or awe, because we all live it. We all desire it. As image bearers are God, there is a God-sized hole in our hearts. We've talked about this here, where we are hungry for something way bigger than us, way larger. It's what drives us on. I think we can call them almost like pilgrimages to places like Niagara Falls or, you know, my family, we're, we're always at Winter Tour here down the street because we long to see this beauty higher than ourselves and just stare at it, right? We feel, I think, Right? If you're honest, if you, if you stand in, you know, in nature, a cityscape, whatever it might be, and you're just standing there, you kind of feel at home because you don't want to leave. Right? You just stand there. You're soaking it in, and something feels like you should be there, looking at something so much bigger than yourself. Right? So the issue with this topic, however, I'm gonna, we're going to look at this morning, is that we are often in awe of the wrong things. We can have misplaced awe, looking for beauty and wonder where we should not. Um, I looked really intently into scripture during uh, the, the prep for this, and what I discovered is there is a very deep connection between our wonder of God, our faith, and our action. There's a very deep connection between the, the depth, and maybe I can call quality of our faith, in God and our all of God, which is very much connected to our action and our response to him. We're going to look at a very famous story. I don't think I've ever preached on this, funny enough, but David and Goliath. Right? We're going to look at that this morning. And we're going to see a whole lot of misplaced awe, okay? This story is, I mean, usually you hear this story like, you know, David slayed this giant. You need to go slay your giants. Like, uh, there's a lot more going on here. Okay, there's a heck of a lot more going on here. So let's let's look at this. Okay, in First Samuel chapter 17, and I turn to Second Samuel 17. So let me correct that. There we go. That's page 278 in your red pew Bibles. Um, we're gonna look at this. So here's the background of this story. Okay, you have Saul's very first. He's the very first king of Israel. And his army have gathered for war against the Philistines, okay? Uh, The armies of Israel and the Philistines, they were gathered in the place called Sukkah. Uh, Think of it as two kind of mountains. There's a valley in between, okay? One mountainside, one army. The other mountainside, another army. They're kind of hanging out. They're facing each other. And in this, this this massive guy, okay, the the Bible describes him as around nine feet tall. He, He walks down to the valley area between the two armies, and he's basically challenging almost like a proxy war, right? Instead of these two armies fighting, somebody come and fight me. Okay, that's kind of the idea. He's looking for one-on-one combat, okay? He's a Philistine giant of a man. This is how the Bible describes him, beginning in verse 4. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels on his legs. He wore bronze greaves, a bronze javelin slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come up and line up for battle? 
Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. Um, around 100 years ago, there was actually a guy that recorded it about nine feet tall who suffered from giantism. Some people think maybe this is what Goliath had as well. Nevertheless, instead of going to all the, you know, this is a really old story, different place and time, measures are way different in their life. The translation of all of that is this is a big, scary dude, okay? And a strong dude. All right, big guy, strong guy, scary guy. Not a guy you really would, you know, really be excited for one-on-one, you know, back alley scenario, you know, situations here, okay? That's, that's my translation, at least. Goliath continued, verse 9. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Verse 10. Then the Philistines said, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man, let us fight one another. Verse 11, and here we go here. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed. They were terrified. It's understandable, right? As the verses continue, Saul started basically trying to bribe his own men. Right? He was like, uh, you don't have to pay taxes if you win. It's kind of funny, you know. Uh, you can marry my daughter and become, you know, part of my family. Somebody do this. Like, what? here, come on, somebody fight. You know, and he himself is obviously shaking in his own boots here. For 40 days, this actually carried on. It's totally easy to understand the fear, okay? But he- hear me out. In these situations, isn't fear kind of an awe too? They were in awe of Goliath. There are various Hebrew words throughout the Old Testament used for all, but depending on the context, the word all can also be translated dread. They were in awe or perhaps in dread of this guy. And it's easy to understand what they were afraid of, but what we are in fear of, what we are dreading in life, there's an awe there. Because that thing seems too big, it seems too powerful. It seems bigger than you, and it seems bigger than I. It seems like something we cannot control. And that's how fear is related to our ego, friends. When we can't control a situation, when something looks way bigger than our capabilities or our capacity to understand or control, we get scared. We get scared because we don't know what's next. We don't have the ability to manipulate the situation for our own benefit, and therefore we can get frozen in fear. But for this particular people, Israel, the people of God, this fear, it was misplaced. It was misplaced because a long time ago, God had provided some promises in the form of blessings to Israel through his prophet Moses. When God initially gathered Israel out of Egypt and brought them together beneath Mount Sinai to give them the law, the law concluded with blessings and curses. Blessings, if the nation walked in light of God, walked in faithful loyalty to him, there's blessings that would come, but curses that would come if they turned to false God and false idols like the nations around them. Now, here's just one of the blessings, but listen to this blessing. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 7. This is what the blessing was. Yahweh God, the Lord, will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. Now, who would cause their enemy to flee? Who? Anybody? It was God, the Lord. You guys awake? You asleep? 
Without going into tremendous detail, right? Uh, well, yeah, so keep this in mind. God would cause their enemies to flee. Keep that in mind as we move forward. The story's long here, but around this time, a shepherd boy named David, he, he shows up, sent by his father, like a little care package. You know, everybody remember the college days when mom and dad sent a care package? Well, this was like what was going on, okay? A little care package to his uh, brothers who were serving in the army. David isn't old enough to be a soldier, so pin him around 14 or 15 years old. In verse 26, as David arrives with this care package, he, he sees the scene. The giant, he's yelling, he's, everybody's scared, and it's like, I don't know what to do. What do you want to do? I don't, I don't know. And they're all like just, they're stuck. They're frozen in fear. He starts inquiring, well, what's the deal? What's going to happen, right? What happens if we win? You know, what does Saul say? What does the king say? He's trying to get the word, you know, on the street. His brothers are like, you just came here to watch the fight. Go home, you know. They didn't have Netflix back then, so this was the next best thing. You just go and pitch a chair and watch the, the actual battle, right? But David is like, no, I'm not here. Let me talk. What's going on? Talk to me. And uh, he learns the situation, learns what you know, Saul said is going to happen if somebody beats him. But David doesn't really seem to be super interested in the prize, okay? Look at verse 32 here in your Bibles in chapter 17. Then David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Now again, 14, 15 year old kid. Saul replied, you're not able to go and fight him. You're only a boy. And he has been fighting men since his youth. This guy's like a professional and you're a kid. It's not gonna go well, David, right? In the following verses, David accounts for his physical you know, abilities. You know, at least it reads that way. He's killed lions and bears when he's a shepherd. So he's like, I'm a, you know, it looks like he's trying to say I'm a tough guy. But I don't really think David says that. Let's listen to how he describes these events that he's seen in his life. Read it carefully. Verse 36, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them because he defied the armies of the living God. Verse 37, pay attention. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. So did David really think that he, these events were something that he did in his own strength, his own abilities, because he's, uh, he's the toughest guy in Israel. Is that how David presented this situation? No. He's like, I I'm aware, like God showed up and helped me when in, the, in those situations. I, I probably shouldn't have won, but I did, because God delivered me. And won't he do the same here, Saul? Couldn't he show up in the same way here? Now, in smaller ways, right, David recognized that it was God who showed up in here. He is challenging Saul. And I'm going to argue, okay, that David probably was aware of the blessings that God promised Israel. I will rise up and help you defeat your enemies if you walk in faithful loyalty to me. That verse in Deuteronomy is God-centric. It's God-centered. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated. So I'm trying to point that Let's look at where David's awe is. I don't believe it's in himself. He shows us where his ultimate trust is, and it's not in his own abilities, right? Keep in mind the things we've said about awe, how it's an ego killer. I don't think David's in awe of his own strength. David is stepping out because he's in awe of his God. He knows his God. 
He knows who his God said he was. He knows the stories of his own people in centuries prior and how he showed up and did miraculous deliverance for his people. He knows the promises that were given. He knew that God can intervene. So he says, the same one, the same Lord, the same God who intervened and delivered me from the lions, he's going to do the same. Where is David's fear? Where is his dread of this giant that's gone? How? Because his awe, his wonder was in Yahweh, to whom Goliath had no comparison. So his fear was just eradicated. It was completely gone. Where's his ego, right? That David show up and say, you know, guys, I'm, I'm awesome. I don't think you know who I am, right? Let me do this, friends. Is that David's, like, you know, mentality? No. He keeps pointing him back to, like, Aren't we the people of God here? Like, don't we know who our Lord is? This, this is where David is going. His ego is not present here because he has true knowledge of God. And rather than this giving birth to some posture for David, right, where he's, you know, shaking in fear, he has courage. Courage is born from knowing who God is, knowing his promises Courage is born. His awe is so great of God that this giant of a man suddenly didn't seem too scary or giant after all. So even if awe is the ego killer, the fascinating thing is that proper awe of God, I want you to hear this, coming to a proper knowledge, and yes, a feeling, like you can know something but it doesn't really reach here, right? When, when the knowledge of God gives birth to just, when you truly know it, like all of your being knows who he is, you've seen his majesty, you've caught that glimpse of who he is, courage is born inside of us. Courage from knowing him. Dallas Willard defined faith that we're talking about here as something, uh, faith is opposed to sight but it's not opposed to knowledge. This is what Willard says. Willard says that when we believe and know something to be so true and so real, what happens is our whole being is ready to act on it. That's faith, says Willard. And I think David had it here. His whole being was ready to act on his knowledge and love of his God. That was his awe of his Lord. Therefore, what may appear to you and I as some great feat by a teenager, that's how we normally talk of the story. Look at how courageous David was. There's some of that, sure, but we're supposed to read what happens next as an exercise of faith and also of God's intervention, not so much David's victory. We're supposed to see this as God's victory through David, not so much David's courageous victory. That's an important distinction. As Paul once said, in his weakness, God is strong. I think David seems kind of dependent on his weaknesses here as a 15-year-old kid to show up so God can then show up. In other words, this wasn't really David's battle. This was God's. If you know the story here, uh, Saul gives him the blessing to go and fight. He's probably thinking this is going to be a disaster, but I don't know what to do. Go ahead, kid. He gives him his armor, and David's like, oh, armor's too big. I don't need armor. So he just, he doesn't get a sword, nothing, okay? And, we, and we, he, he grabs some stones, his sling, right? If you had any interaction in church as a kid, you know this story, right? But listen to David's words here, okay? Beginning here in verse 45. Just listen to this. So he runs up to Goliath. He has his slingshot ready. He says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, 
Think of the awe and the wonder that David has of his God and how he describes his God here. The name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will hand you over to me. You see how David's ego is just not even here at all, right? It's really, I don't think David's even thinking about himself much here. He was just thinking about his God, right? The Lord will hand you over to me. I'll strike you down, cut off your head. I'll give you the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air, the beasts of the earth. For what reason? The whole world may know how awesome David is. No, the whole world may know that there is a God in Israel. All of those who gather here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. So, of course, Goliath laughs. He mocks, but you know the story. He gets the stone. He runs up eagerly. He swings, flings, and it sinks the, he sinks the stone right in Goliath's forehead. A battle commences, and Israel becomes the victor. David's all of God led him where no other soldier was willing to go. And it was a great leap of faith, a great act of courage, saying, I know God, I know what he promised us so long ago. And he is so grand and so glorious and so truly beautiful and mighty that I want to orient my actions and decisions in such a way in my life that is utterly dependent on him, utterly based on his promises, so that I am not trying to do this in my own strength, but rather the Lord's. That's what happens when you're always in God. This is not about David slaying the giant. It's about knowing who God is, being in awe of him and giving him the space to show up as we act on our knowledge of him, okay? I wanna break some of this stuff down here. I, it's easy to look at Israel's the army and think, well, that's who we can kind of relate to is Israel's army scared, sure. like. I think in our life, there's been things that surface where we're like, I, I can't control this. I can't, I don't, this is out of my hands. I don't know how to respond to this. If I, I can't, I don't know what to do. And there's a fear, sickness, you know, that scary C word, cancer. You know, all of us have diseases or, you know, loss or, you know, loss of a job or all these things. Like all of us have had something happen in our life that we, we say, I, I actually can't control this one. And there's a little bit of fear. What do I do? Or we've had that, sure. But I think we're more often the person we should kind of relate to. This is me, I don't know. It's actually Goliath. Because Goliath was kind of an egomaniac, was he not? I mean, he was literally just saying, I'm huge, I'm scary, I'm big, look at me, and what are you going to do about it? Right? The comparisons between Goliath and David couldn't be different, right? Goliath really thought he was the best thing since sliced bread. His own awe, if you will, was clearly in himself. I think that's the default in our human nature. I think we far too often think far too highly of ourselves. We so often trust ourselves and our own strength far more than we should. We trust our own experiences and the wisdom that we draw from those uh, far too more than we should. If we are honest, I think we often live in awe of our own selves and just kind of hope that those around us just may catch a glimpse of us. 
in our wisdom, of our own abilities, kind of like Goliath here, walking around, kind of beating our chest and talking about ourselves way more than we should, hoping others will say, wow, look at, look at them. Is that not Facebook in a nutshell, right? I mean, seriously, I climbed the mountain. Let me tell the world how awesome that was. And, you know, I did it. Like, this is our culture today. Like, this stuff has to shape us in some way. Like, the whole idea of, you know, our, our phones being able to take a thousand pictures a day and, and the display a, 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 a controlled image of ourself to the world. Like, you don't want to, you're not going to post the negative. You're going to post the positive, right? You have complete control of that image. And you want people to see you smiling, not sad or not lonely or depressed. Not that. You want them to see their smiles and the happy stuff. You're in control, right? This feeds us, I think. But this is 2022. This is just a stroking of our own ego. I do think that we are often like Goliath in our own story here. But when we see David, a question arises. I'm going to ask you guys this morning. When is, like, hear me. If you're asleep, like, wake up, okay? Like, when is the last time you truly had a glimpse of God and his glory? Or that you even cried out like Moses, God, just show me your glory. Like, I want to see you. When is the last time you actually had truly an encounter with the God of this universe? That you actually have sought one out? When is that last time you were on your face before him saying, God, show me more of you? When is the last time, friends? Because I think we so often just kind of go through life like as he's like our genie when we need him, we, we call on him, but we're just still looking at our own selves instead of just waking up on our face saying, God, I need you every hour of this day. I need you. Would you please reveal yourself to me and show up in my life? Like, like John the Baptist said, would I decrease so that you may increase? Are these the, are these the things we pray for? Like, are these the things we are seeking out in our lives? Are you, friends? Because the, the reality is, consistently, there's so many stories. I had to cut this sermon in half because I, I was just way too long. Like, when people had a, 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 an encounter with him, like they saw him and they had a glimpse of God, there was almost always followed by some crazy, courageous act of faith. Okay, Isaiah, throne room vision. He's before God. The train of his robe is filling the temple. Smoke is everywhere. These flying creatures that are just wild in description are singing and as they sing their voices shake the foundations and the pillars of this temple and all Isaiah can do is saying I'm dead like woe is me I'm a sinner I don't belong here if I'm here for another second I want to drop dead he was afraid and then God said don't be afraid you're atoned for your sins are forgiven I want you here actually I want you in my presence. I'm not going to kick you out of my presence. I want you here because I've forgiven you and cleansed you. And so Isaiah is like screaming for death almost, like scared to death. And the very next sentence, God says, I need somebody. And Isaiah is like, me. I'm like, well, I thought you were just scared. Like, what are you now volunteering for? What? You ain't know what you're volunteering for. But Isaiah got a glimpse of the love and mercy and glory of God. And he said, he's on my side. I'm in. What do you need? If you got my back here, 
I'm all in. What, Lord? Me, pick me, I'm in. And he was given probably the hardest assignment saying, go preach to people who will never listen to you, never respond to you, and they'll probably end up killing you. (laughs) That was his job. But he said, send me, because you're worth it, right? I'm fully convinced that one of the most greatest, most powerful, and most healing, like truly restorative healing experiences of our lives is just to catch a glimpse of the glory of God, is to have an encounter with him. I'm on the back end of our sermon now, right? Um, I want to kind of hopefully give some practical things here. After Jesus' ascension, the Holy Spirit, he, he came for many reasons, right, uh, to provide access to God himself, to, you know, be our helper, to provide gifts. All these things are there, but he also showed up in our life to be the continual presence of God in our life, that whether through dramatic, you know, events or just that small whisper in our ear, to, to, to give us the very presence of God because of the work of Christ we're forgiven of our sin. He can make a home inside of us that we now carry as temples of the Lord, the very presence of God that he is now available to us each and every day. And if you look in scriptures, when the Holy Spirit initially fell in the book of Acts on people, what was the response? Almost every time. Often there was these miraculous tongues that were spoken and language is not their own, but it wasn't just random talk that was happening, right? Whether it was tongues or the native language, the the common thread in all of it is they praised God. The awe of God just filled them and they could do nothing but just worship him for those around them all to hear. That's the result of the Holy Spirit's presence in our life. And we catch a glimpse of God. The Spirit wants you to see Jesus. He wants you to see the Son of God, to know the Son of God, who in heaven now intercedes for you today. I want to just remind you of who this Son of Man is, who this Jesus is, right? In the Son, the full radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature is on the Son of God. He is the image of the invisible God. All things are created through him and for him. And I am just praying that you can just catch a glimpse of his glory this morning. When Paul spoke of the Spirit, he said, I want you to be filled with the Spirit. For what purpose? He says, that you may sing to one another in psalms and hymns, And in spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, because when you are filled with the Spirit, the result is praise and worship to our God, a response from the awe that we gather before him. So I'm going to call the worship team up at this point um, as we we wrap up here, and we have time just for ministry here. Um, If you look at your life, do you see a life lived by faith? I hope I can verbalize this well. Like, when I say a life lived by faith, like David and Isaiah both and countless others in Scripture, they did what we may perceive to be very risky endeavors. Most of us will probably not, you know, be like caught up to the throne room of God and see what Isaiah saw, right? Most of us will not be in a David's position probably, right? Um, but is your day-to-day posture in life, one of praise, one of seeking awe and wonder of God and asking him to show himself to you because the result 
of that kind. It's not just for me, 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 I, I want to see. Like, no, the, re- the result in all of these people when they caught the glimpse of God was that those around them had a benefit of your encounter with God because it bled out of you and it led you to then make a decision. We always talk about loving God and loving neighbor, right? The results of you meeting and seeing the glory of God is that your neighbors around you are going to benefit because you're going to look at your life and say, Lord, like, what can I do? Like, is there something that you, ask, that you have me to do? Is there people in my life that need to, to see you, to, to know you, to be ministered to? Uh, do I, is there a different vocation you have for me? Like, big questions that may require a leap of faith or maybe a, a, a courageous step in life. But I guess my question is when you look at your life, your day-to-day life, like, do you see actions that require faith that God will have to show up if you take it? I think that's the kind of life that he asks us to do. And I'm not looking at, you know, I, I often kind of abhor the let's change the world for Jesus kind of things. I mean, some people are given like a Billy Graham platform, sure, but I'm talking like the small stuff here, right? The next door neighbor that just moved in, bake some cookies, go shove them in the front door, say, hey, for some of you, that's like a courageous step, right? To get to know them and pray, Lord, I want to minister to these people. You brought them as my neighbors. How can I be the light of Christ to them? Maybe for some of you, it's a leap of faith with your checkbooks. There's an opportunity to give. And you're like, I don't want to give that much. And God says, yeah, I need you to. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? With your generosity, do you trust I'm going to provide for you? Are you willing to take that leap of faith and say, okay, Lord, I'm doing it. Is your life characterized by faith? If it's not Seek all of God. That's your first step. Seek Him. Number two, there are many promises of God available to us. I'm going to be careful in how I verbalize this, okay? Um, because I can sound like almost like, a, almost like a prosperity kind of thing. Like if you do something, you know, God's going to show up and help you every single time, like David or like Isaiah, you know. Well, not like Isaiah, because the guy was, I think, sawn in half, as tradition tells us. <laughs> okay, so here's my point here, okay? God may call us. When we are in awe of him, it is an opportunity, a leap of faith, we jump out there, okay? Sometimes it may go hard for you. It may go rough for you. James was murdered, uh, killed by the sword, while Peter was rescued, just the next story after. Tradition tells us that almost all the prophets died horrific deaths of persecution for preaching the truth. Paul was beheaded. John boiled alive and died out here in exile. Uh, Christians were thrown in amphitheaters and colosseums in Rome to be ripped apart by wild animals for their witness of the gospel. We could go on and on, but I'm going to share with you a story, another little quick story in the Old Testament that um, it's always stuck with me because it came from the mouth. I was in college, and this was the chapel service. I wish I knew the guy's name, but uh, he had spent decades in Africa. He was a medical doctor, and he had it there's a story he shared, and I'm going to share with you. He had it going really well in America. You know, great paychecks and comfy living. And God called him. An opportunity arose to go live on donations, on support, and move to Africa to practice medicine to people who had no access. This is a story that, that God used to, to propel him in that great act of courage, okay? Um, just before the story of, of David and Goliath, you have Jonathan. Um, he was a son of Saul. 
Similar kind of situation, Philistine camps over here, Jonathan, you know, Israel camp over here, and there wasn't a lot of fighting happening. Israel was still kind of scared. And listen to what happened. Jonathan, he sneaks out with his armor bearer. I love this story. He sneaks out with his armor bearer as Israel is kind of just scared. And he looks at his armor bearer. He's by himself, okay? There's 600 Israelites. I forget how many there are exactly of the Philistines. There's a lot more than one, okay? So he gets his armor bearer. So now there's two of them. And he says this in 1 Samuel 14, verse 7, or verse 6, sorry. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Here, let's listen. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing can handle the Lord from saving by many or by few. It may be. He didn't say it definitely will happen. He's like, he can, so why not? Isn't God worth it? Don't I know who he, uh, isn't it worth it? It may be. What if, he, what if he doesn't show up, right? What if you felt the stirring to pray for someone, right? And, and you're just like, oh, I want to, this is risky. What if they aren't healed and they need healing? I want to pray for them and like nothing happens, right? Um, and you feel like a fool. Uh, what if you felt the stirring to go and serve your, or love your neighbors in a sacrificial, costly way and there's just like zero response? They're just like, uh, I don't care. And just life goes on. And you're like, man, like I gave so much to do that and there's nothing? Like, Lord, I thought you told me to do this right? What if you stuck your neck out, right? And you're all just drove you to do it, right? And you finally share the good news of that family member. And they're just like, never talk to me again. And you're like, Lord, what? I thought you called me to do this. Here's my question. Are you willing to be a fool for Christ? That story of Jonathan could have made him out to be a fool, right? If he went up there by himself and just God did show up and rescued Jonathan. But I'm not here to tell you that he's always going to show up. What I'm here to tell you is find your all in God, have an increase of faith and an act of courage. Say, Lord, I'm here. What do you have? And it may be that he shows up and does something amazing. It may be that you wind up being a fool for Christ. My question, and I'm begging you, be willing to be a fool for Christ. Be willing to be a fool for him. Regardless if it goes bad for you, the glory of God is still being shown. Your faith will be tested, but be willing to be a fool for Christ. Are you willing to be a fool for Christ this morning? Um, and that doctor, he, he shared all the sufferings he went through in Africa. And just, he's like, time and time again, I said, Lord, did you really bring me here? Because he was sick and he was suffering for all those years. But he said, I gave up everything to be here. Am I going to die here in Africa? But he didn't, but he... With the scars to prove it, said, I never regretted the decision that I made because my God was worth it. His awe was just maxed out on his Lord. And people will look at him in our world and say, that guy was a fool. And he would probably say, yeah, I was a fool for Christ. Um, at this time, we're going to have ministry, right? We, we, we have prayer available. Um, if anything has stirred in your heart, anything has stirred in you, that you want to just come and be ministered to. I'm here to tell you that God wants to minister to you this morning. And so don't leave here without responding if you feel an urge to respond to God this morning. Um, let me just pray for us. We have one more song and come up as the Spirit leads. Um, Jesus, I know I just went a lot of places this morning, but Lord, I, 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 
They want this church to be known as just full of a bunch of fools for you. But Lord, how to get there, Lord? I want to be known as a church just full of worshipers of you, God. Full of people who are just in wonder and in awe of you. Would you show us yourself? Would you give us the spirit of Moses that was just a deep and insatiable hunger for your glory? Like Paul on the road to Damascus, Lord, you just showed up and you blinded him, Lord. Somebody in this room may need that kind of another experience this morning where you just show up and just kind of knock them down, Lord. It was like, I, wow, I, I need you, Lord. Um, Lord, be here this morning in this room, Lord. Not for us to just soak in as a sponge, but for the community around us, Lord, that we may be true lights and ambassadors of you to carry your very presence to our community, Lord. We love you so much, Lord. We love you because you first loved us. And when we know your love, perfect love casts out all fear, Lord, as John said. So help us to know your perfect love that you may cast out that fear in our life, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. Come as a spirit leads.